Well, good morning, church. My name is still Derek. I am still the pastoral intern. The text for the teaching today is Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. That's Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. If you don't have a Bible, there should be Bibles under the seats in front of you. I believe it's on page 840. Those Bibles are for you to take. So please, if you don't have a Bible and you'd like one to read, take that Bible. We want you to have it. Um, There's nothing better than you could do in your spare time than to read God's Word. Well, I'm going to ask God for help in prayer, and then we'll get started. So let's pray. Speak, O Lord, as we come to you to receive the food of your holy word. Take your truth and plant it deep in us and form and fashion us into your likeness. Show us the power and the mercy of Jesus. Drive out our fears. Cause us to trust. And it's because Jesus still shows his blood to you right now that we pray. Amen. Well, this passage has two themes running through it, fear and faith, all right? Fear and faith, or anxiety and trust. And it shows us two things about Jesus. It shows us his radical compassion, and it shows us his infinite power, his real love, and his real sovereignty. And so here's the point of this text, and it's Jesus' words from verse 36. Don't fear, only believe. Don't fear, Only believe. Don't be scared. Trust. Now, he said this in the context of sickness, in the context of fear of death, of of the context of impending loss of a family member, in the context of social isolation, in in the context of being rejected, in the context of sin, in the context of feeling separation from God. And Jesus' message to us in all of this is simply, don't fear, only believe. Don't be frightened, trust me. And so let's listen to the passage, and as I read it, remember this contrast, fear and faith. All right, listen for that contrast, fear and faith. And I want to remind us all that this is God's word, word for word. He promises to work through it. So as I read it, let's really listen to what God's got to say. This is the word of the Lord. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And he went with him. And a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years and who had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I'll be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease." 
While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And when he had entered, he said to them, why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went in where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. This is God's word. All right, we're going to look at this text in five sections. And, and the point of each section is really going to be don't fear, only believe. But the, the narrative breaks down into five sections. So let's look at the first section. And in that, we see a prayer of faith. All right, we see a prayer of faith. Now let's think about where Jesus had been. He just finished teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God and that that kingdom looked like something small, insignificant, and quiet. It wasn't going to come with, with large, world-changing drama. In fact, it was nearly invisible. And then after that, he got in a boat with some of his close disciples, and there was a major storm, and the disciples thought that they were going to die. And then Jesus, with just a word, stopped the storm in an instant. The crashing waves, the wind, the rain, the tossing boat, Jesus said a word and it just stopped. And they sailed to a non-Jewish area, and this was an area where God wasn't really known. They didn't have the Bible, they didn't have the temple, they didn't have the priests. God wasn't really known there. But Jesus went there and he, he found a man that was controlled by an army of demons. And Jesus had compassion on that man. And then again with a word, Jesus took on the whole demonic army in their own territory and sent them running. And he did it all to have compassion on this one man. And then Jesus came back to Israel. He, he wasn't coming back to his hometown yet, but he was close by. And he was in an area where people knew about the miracles he was doing. They knew he was healing. They knew he was casting out demons. And so people were waiting for him. So we see this in verse 21. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then a man came up to Jesus. He was an elder, a leader in the, in the local synagogue. He was someone everyone respected. He was probably someone with money, someone with influence. People respected this guy. People liked this guy. People probably went to him for advice. They wanted to hear him teach. He was someone, honestly, like a lot of you in this assembly this morning. And so we see this in verse 22. There came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name. And by the way, as an aside, Drew had mentioned the book Jesus and the Eyewitnesses before. Um, there's an excellent section in that book about historiography and why the gospel writers included certain names and didn't include others. Uh, certain names like Jairus here, right? Um, and it's connected to 
ancient history and how historians wrote. And so if you're interested in that sort of things and the, the history of the Gospels, um, check out the book Jesus and the Eyewitnesses. Highly recommend it. Um, if you're not interested in that sort of thing, but you do have trouble sleeping, um, I also highly recommend that book. It'll, it'll help you fall asleep. Anyway, what did, what did this respected man do? Well, he fell at Jesus' feet, and he begged him to rescue his daughter. And that's in verses 22 and 23. Listen, it says, Seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be well, or made well and live. This might hit home for some of you. Some of you have lost a loved one, maybe even a long time ago, and it it still hurts. Some of you might have a a family member that that is frighteningly ill. Some of you have lost a child, and it hurts. And there's no more tender relationship than I've ever seen in the world than the, the relationship that a father has with his daughter. There, there's a unique love that a father has for a son, but there, there's a special love that a father has for a daughter. It's, it's full of cherishing and affection and, and protection. And, and that's not a warrant to be partial to daughters, by the way. That would be evil. But it is to say there is something unique here that a father feels towards a daughter. And this man was feeling it. He was he was trembling. He was begging Jesus. He, he knew that Jesus could save her from death. So listen, do you believe that Jesus rose from the dead? Do you believe right now that the risen Jesus really has power over literally everything? That's true that God doesn't promise healing to everyone right now. But, but do you believe that Jesus really has the power right now to even create life where there is only death? He does. So don't fear. Only believe. Now listen to what Jesus did next. Look at his, look at his compassion. This is verse 24. And he went with him. Jesus, God himself, true human, walked with this man. He cared about him in his pain. He was just with him. This, this man had prayed to Jesus, had talked to Jesus in faith. It wasn't perfect faith, but it was faith, and Jesus had compassion. Friends, let's, let's act like Jairus. Let's pray in faith. Not perfect faith, but faith in a perfect Jesus who has perfect love and perfect sovereignty. In fact, Let me pray right now, if you would join me in prayer. Father, you are the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Many of us right now are hurting physically, emotionally. Cast out our fears. Cause us to trust you. And we ask this knowing that when Jesus returns, he will actually fix everything. And it's because Jesus died that we approach and ask. Amen. Right, that was the first section of the text. Yeah, just because I prayed doesn't mean the sermon's over, by the way. I'm allowed to pray in the middle of the sermon. That was the first section. That brings us to the, the second section. And in the second section of the text, we see an act of faith. All right, we see an act of faith. That's going to be verses 25 through 29. So there's this crowd gathered about Jesus. In the middle of this crowd, there was a, a woman who had been suffering from some sort of menstrual disease for 12 years. This is verse 25. 
And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. Now, God had given the nation of Israel a law, and part of that law was quarantining people with bloody discharges. They were to be isolated. They weren't allowed to worship in the congregation. They weren't allowed to participate in the sacrifices, which meant that they weren't allowed to to see the symbols of the way that God would actually forgive and cleanse his people. And that was God being gracious. And, and first it was God being gracious because it protected uh, Israel from, from disease spreading. But it was also being gracious because of the fact that God was showing people that they needed his mercy. He was showing people that we need him to justify us from our sins, to fix the curse of death. It, it was a reminder not just to the woman, but to everyone. And it was a a reminder that God had promised that one day someone was going to come and meet that need for righteousness completely. There's a problem with the system, though. And the problem really is the people. Because people, we are self-righteous. We tend to think that we're good. And people were like that in her day. And so they thought that this woman was probably bad, and they were probably good. They, they thought of her as someone to be avoided, to be shunned. Someone who couldn't get married, by the way. Um, and someone who, if she were married when she developed this disease, had, had probably had a husband that abandoned her. They probably even thought of her as somebody maybe that God didn't even love. She was alone. Constant physical pain. She felt dirty all the time. Have you ever felt like that? In addition, this, this woman had run out of money looking for a cure. That's verse 26. She had suffered much under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. This woman had tried everything, and the pain just kept on getting worse and worse. She was probably reduced to begging, probably going hungry at times. She's probably not even able to look people in the eye because of her shame. Many people feel just like this woman felt, in pain, with no one, with nothing, who feel unclean, who feel impure. Some of us in this room might feel like that. For me, I think of people in the world that might feel like that. I think about the couple million Uyghurs that are captured in, in Chinese concentration camps right now, and, and I think about people that I personally know and love that are terrified of stepping out of line and, and disappearing in the middle of the night. I think of 300,000 children that are kidnapped every year and trafficked as slaves, largely in a sex slavery. I think of the 200 million Dalits in India, um, the untouchables, who, if, if they can find work, it's work collecting sewage or garbage or scavenging. They're the unclean. We need to know that there is a grave need around the world. There's there's people like this woman, people that Jesus personally loves, people who need to be told, don't fear, only believe. People who need God's love. There's actually people like this right now in Indianapolis. There's, there's a, several thousand Afghani refugees 
living on the south side of Indianapolis. And really quick show of hands, how many of you know Christian Ness? Raise your hand. How many of you want to know Christian Ness? Raise your hands. Some of you didn't raise your hands. I see you, by the way. Anyway, Christian Nass and his family um, are going to uh, go there and start helping with these Afghani refugees. They just need people to come up to them and to love them, to show them the love of Jesus. If you're interested in doing something like that with Christian, um, he's serving in the Sunday school right now, but you should be able to find him after the service, or, or find me, and I'd be happy to connect you with him. But we have an awesome opportunity, even in our own town right now, to love people who probably feel a lot like this woman. Anyway, this, this woman was hiding herself in the crowd so that she couldn't be recognized. But she knew that there was something about this Jesus. She knew there was something about power and something about mercy. And so listen to verse 27. She had heard the reports about Jesus and come up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if I touch even his garments, I will be made well. She was just trying to touch his cloak. Superstitious faith, but still real faith. Still trust in Jesus. And she was healed instantly. The pain just stopped. Verse 29 says, And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Can you imagine the joy after 12 years? The hope, the confirmation that, that Jesus really is full of power and full of mercy? Even to imperfect faith, to faltering faith, to faith that doesn't know it all, to faith that still has some fear, he is still full of mercy. Do you know that the Jesus who lives right now is still like this to people with faltering faith? You don't have to have perfect faith to come to him and to talk to him. He's still full of mercy. You just need to come. Don't fear, only believe. That brings us to our third section. Jesus vindicated the woman. All right, Jesus vindicated the woman. That's going to be in verses 30 to 34. Now, Jesus knew that he'd dispensed some power. That doesn't mean he he was drained in some way, like his fuel gauge went down a little bit. It it just meant that the God-man felt himself at work. And so so he looked for the woman. We see this in verses 30 to 32. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, You see the crowd pressing around you, and yet you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. This might raise some questions about what Jesus knew exactly, but Jesus here wasn't looking for information. He was looking for the person that trusted him. He knew he'd acted in power. And so he looked for the one who wanted mercy. Not to find out, but to find her. But she was scared. She didn't want to be exposed. She didn't want all those eyes on her. She probably didn't want Jesus' eyes on her. But she still came forward. That's verse 33. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Jesus saw her fear, but Jesus strengthened her faith. Don't fear, only believe. He called her daughter. Daughter. Just like the man earlier who was terrified because his daughter was so sick. 
daughter, loved, cherished. Jesus, acting as this woman's God, declared her to be his child in front of everyone, in front of the people who would have rejected her, who would have avoided her, who thought Jairus was probably deserving, but she probably wasn't. Jesus declared her daughter. Do you know if you believe in Jesus, he calls you child, calls you daughter, calls you son, in love, in mercy, not ashamed of you, it says in Hebrews. So don't fear, only believe. And then Jesus vindicated her in public. Look at verse 34. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. He praised her imperfect, superstitious, fearful faith. It saved her, not because it was perfect faith, but because it was faith in the perfect Son of God who has perfect power and perfect mercy. He gave her peace with God. He declared her clean. So don't fear, only believe. Now, one other thing. There's a word translated here that, that's translated made you well. Now, I, I hate pulling the Greek out on people. There's a, there's a professor at a seminary that I went to that said, for the pastor, Greek should be like underwear. You should use it, but no one else should see it. <laughs> I, I, I generally agree with that. Um, with both of those things, actually, I agree with. So... Um, <laughs> But uh, here, that word translated made you well, it's actually the word saved. So he's, he's saying here, daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, the question is, saved from what? Now, Jesus did mean, daughter, your, sa- your faith has saved you from this disease right now. That's, that's true. But Jesus also meant, daughter, your faith in me has saved you from sin, from death, from punishment, from shame, completely forever. So you here right now, if you call on Jesus as your God, listen. You people who have imperfect faith, faltering faith, fearful faith, but still faith, Jesus tells you, daughter, son, your faith has saved you. Don't fear. Only believe. It brings us to the fourth section, all right? This is the fourth section. In the fourth section, Jairus' daughter died, all right? Jairus' daughter died. This is verses 35 to 40. So right when Jesus publicly declared that this, this outcast was his daughter, messengers came from Jairus, or from Jairus' house to tell Jairus that his daughter had just died. And this is in verse 35. It says, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? All right, the messengers from Jairus' house, they knew Jairus was a big deal, but they knew Jesus was a bigger deal. After all, they knew that he could heal the girl, but now she died, and so it was time to step back and let the teacher go on his way. Certainly humble. But then listen to Jesus' response. It's in verse 36. But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, 
only believe. See, they, they knew Jesus was important. They knew that Jesus could heal life-threatening diseases, but they missed two things. One, they missed just how powerful, how sovereign Jesus truly is. And they missed how compassionate and how merciful and how willing to be bothered by people God truly is. And so Jesus continued his walk with Jairus to his house. And he, he only let a few people follow him, probably because he knew that there, the, there were going to be a lot of people already at Jairus's house mourning, and the space would be really confined. And so we see that in verse 38. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and, and Jesus saw a commotion, people we, weeping and wailing loudly. Now, Jews at that time were uh, more emotionally expressive than a lot of us in Zionsville. They, they found value in it, there, and there was something cultural there, okay? So I, I don't want to tell you all if you're slightly sad, you should go about weeping. Um, but there's, there's also some value in knowing how you're feeling and not trying to deny it. That's why the, the Psalms are full of laments. The Psalms are full of complaints to God, and those are there to teach us how to pray. They even, they're even have uh, expressed anger to God. And prayer is the appropriate place for those kinds of emotions. That's, we should talk to God like that. Can you think of how much less whiny and gossipy we might be if we complained to God, by the way, instead of other people? Anyway, Jesus saw all this weeping, and he kind of gently rebuked them. So look at verse 39. And when he had entered, he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. In other words, it doesn't make sense for you to weep. You knew I was coming. You should have known she was going to wake up. Who do you think I am? So don't fear. Only believe. But they thought Jesus was being ridiculous. So verse 40 says, And they laughed at him. They mocked. Silly Jesus. Only God can raise the dead. But behind all this is Jesus' gentle command. Don't fear. Only believe. And that brings us to the last section. It's verses 41 to 43. Jesus made the girl come back to life. Jesus brought the girl back to life. And this should really kind of freak us out. This happened. The girl died. Jesus made her alive again. He, he touched the hand of death, and he said two words. And that corpse became a living, breathing, walking, talking, thinking, feeling girl. Verse 41 says, Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kumi, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age, and they were immediately overcome with amazement. Of course they were. They were shocked. They were bewildered. The dead girl was now alive and totally fine. And all Jesus did was grasp her hand and tell her to get up. That is sovereign power. And that is loving mercy. He told you, didn't he? Don't fear. Only believe. But then, Jesus ended this whole scene on a really quiet note, like, like nothing in the world had changed. 
See, he could have said, all right, let's bring the girl out. Let's prove that I can raise the dead. Let's march to Jerusalem. Let's make me king. And hey, if if Jesus can kick an army of demons out, he can certainly get rid of the Romans. Jesus could have done that. In fact, if he had done nothing, people probably would have wanted him to do that. Instead, listen to what verse 43 says. He strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Remember, Jesus had taught that God's kingdom wasn't arriving with a bang. It was arriving with a whisper. Its arrival was a message. It looked small. It looked insignificant. It looked mundane. It was just words. And so, we have sermons. And we read the Bible out loud publicly. And we pray the Bible. And we sing the Bible. And we see the Bible enacted in the Lord's Supper and in baptism. And that is God's kingdom. That is God's rule and reign and how it is exercised right now. Because it's, it's not here with a bang right now. But it is here with words. And God, over the universe, connects personally, individually, relationally to humans with words. Humans who have imperfect, faltering, but real faith in him as he speaks through his words. Jesus did let a few witnesses in to see us, to see this, to let us know about it later, and, and we'd find out about it through reporting, through their writing, to let us know what? Jesus raises the dead. So don't fear. Only believe. Jesus reigns. Jesus loves. So don't fear. Only believe. So in wrapping this up, I want to show you how this fits into the whole of Mark's gospel. See, there's, there's several themes running through all of Mark's gospel, but one of those themes is actually fear. It's the concept of fear. So, for instance, when the disciples saw Jesus stop the storm on the sea, they were afraid. When Jesus sent the whole army of demons running away, people were afraid. When Jairus saw his daughter dying, he was afraid. When the woman was called out in front of the crowd to be shown to be the one who had trusted Jesus and on whom Jesus had mercy, she was afraid. When Jairus had heard that his daughter had died, he was afraid. And I really hate giving the endings to things away. I, I really like surprise endings. But Mark's gospel ends like this. Jesus was brought up on trumped-up charges before the Jewish rulers and before the Roman rulers. He was wrongly tortured. He was wrongly executed. And he was buried. On the, on the third day after that had happened, some people went to the tomb to do some embalming work. They hadn't been allowed to do that before. But when they got there, they were met by an otherworldly messenger. And that, that man told them that God the Father had brought God the Son back to life. And he told them that they would actually hang out with him shortly. And so listen to how Mark ends 
his gospel. He ends it like this. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. They were freaked out. Understandably, they, they saw Jesus breathe his last. They saw a Roman soldier run a spear through his heart just to make sure he was dead. But he was alive? And then after that, these women and over 500 people spent time with Jesus very much alive after this. Surreal, but very real. And to them, Jesus would say something like this. Don't fear, only believe. Jesus has conquered death. And Jesus is not afraid to touch you. Now listen, you, you haven't really loved God like you should. You know that. But God himself isn't afraid to take your hand, to take your sin onto his own body. And if you trust him, that's exactly what he did. He took your guilt. He took your shame that comes from living in this broken world. He died in the place of all who would trust him. And he did it so perfectly and so successfully that he could not stay dead. It would have been wrong for Jesus to stay dead. And so he brought himself back to life. He is alive. So you who believe in Jesus Christ, listen. Your sins are forgiven. Jesus has made you clean. He's declared you his child. So don't fear. Only believe. And to you who don't yet believe in Christ, he's real. He's alive right now. He reigns right now. He has mercy right now. Do you want to know him? Well, don't fear. Only believe. And, and if that's you, someone in this congregation or, or myself would love to talk to you afterwards about how you can trust in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we praise you for your victory over sin, death, shame, pain, over everything. Cleanse us away from our fear. Grow us, grow us in comfort and trust in Jesus so we will tell others about your great mercy. And it's because Jesus has saved us that we pray. Amen.